Uh, well, now, tell me, Dr. Schwartz, what do you feel you can bring to Lester Corp? Uh, well, sir, I'm an excellent filer. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's see about that. Tell me, which of these two letters comes first, this one or this one? The symbol on the left is not a letter, sir. Damn, you're good. <laughs> I was trying to trick you. <laughs> it's been a long time. Long time. Couldn't wait to see this. Nobody's been much longer waited since Jesus. Who wouldn't believe this? I heard so, the word. How does this song connect to, to the conversation? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how it connects. And more importantly, it's been a long time. Hi, and welcome to the Unday Movie Podcast. This is actually. This is Damien. And this is Douglas. We did it. Yeah. Weirdly enough, in my head, the joke that I had, which leads into our conversation, is that being John Malkovich was the beginning of Charlie Kaufman for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. um, even though he didn't direct that film, that was his, that was his big writing break, yeah. writing that movie. Um, and now we're going to be talking about his latest film. Um, and it's been a long time, you know. Like, I couldn't think of anything better because I'm lame. And also, I love that song. So I, I needed shitty excuses just to play that song on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I accept. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a long time, Mr. Kaufman. But we're here talking about movies and still wondering how there's more sports to watch than there are movies. Um. Are there still sports going on, guys? Is sports done? No, uh, I mean, it's international. We I mean, Ronaldo got is. COVID, so probably, <laughs> probably yes, sports is finished. <laughs> Proper football um, starts back over the weekend. Sh sure, it does. <laughs> all right is it proper football without Ronaldo <laughs> all right all right tell yourself that <laughs> um yeah so we're gonna start this week off talking about the latest film from one Mr. Charlie Kaufman brought to us by the the people of the Netflix the Steve and them all mm -hmm. um I'm thinking about ending things Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. I'm visiting Jake's parents for the first time. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward. And that's me muting my phone because I realized I didn't have it on mute. But yeah, I'm thinking about ending things. The, the latest film from Mr. Charlie Kaufman, um, which has us following um, Jake, um, played by Jesse Plemons, as well as Young Woman. Um, this is the worst part about it. I watched this movie and I didn't even realize the character didn't have a name. 
Um, <laughs> or wait, no. No, she had multiple names. Yes, she had multiple names now that I'm remembering this. Um, played by Jesse Buckley. And Lucy and Amy. Yeah. Are the ones that I remember. But Lucy yeah. was her first name. And yes, so that's Lucy the was one her first. That I assume is the right one. <laughs> IMDb says young woman, and I'm like, <laughs> shit. Um, <laughs> played by Jesse Buckley, an actress who, honestly, I'll follow anywhere at this stage. I mean, but... listen, the. This this movie is essentially Fargo fuck yourself, right? <laughs> because they're both in Fargo. Yep. Yep. Uh, the three of them are in Fargo. Um, the... David Thewlis was in a Thulis season of Fargo. Fargo? Which one? Oh yes, he was. I forgot. Uh, I, I said I was going to rewatch all of the Fargo episodes. She was uh, also in Chernobyl. She I was in that even though everybody loves it. And she was in, she was in the movie Air. I like Wild Rose. Oh, I haven't seen Wild Rose. Oh, is that the, the singing songy Irish one? Yep. Yep. I wanted to and watch it. She's a singing songy lady. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize yep. that was her. Oh wow. I saw Misbehavior. That movie ain't great. Wild Rose is pretty great. Yeah, I'll add that to the list. Hold on. Give me a second. Yeah, it does, I mean, it does look good. Damien, I have not watched it, but I would approve of um, and I mean, it's one of those movies where, like, the movie is probably good. She makes it great for me. Okay. Right? Um, if we're, like, trying to do it. But, however, we're talking about a different movie entirely. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about, I'm thinking about ending things and mm. about Mr. Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> um, the film, um, as I was attempting to describe, follows these two characters. Um, Jesse Buckley's character is being taken to um jake jake's home to meet his parents um for the first time they've been dating for a short while and we get an introspective view into jesse buckley's head as she is constantly thinking that she's thinking about ending things date with this young man and we continue throughout the night as they take the long drive up and then the tedious drive back after this meeting the the movie is weird not to put a double a capital capital W in the beginning of that statement um, to a fault. And it's one of those things in which Charlie Kaufman is a filmmaker who's made some movies that I love. Actually, let me rephrase that. He's made one movie that I truly love. Um, which one is that? As a filmmaker, as, as a director. Oh, as a synetic okay. in New York. He wrote other movies. As a director, um, that, has he made any movies that anybody loves? I don't know about that. Snake in New York is amazing. Um, <laughs> um, and subsequent to which, he has made other films that I have not been as warm on. Um, and this movie, I feel weirdly just defeated by. It's one of those films. <laughs> it's one of those films where you sit throughout the runtime and you stare at it, looking at all of the oddities going on, all of the acting that is happening in front of you, all of the just strangeness that Kaufman brings out in all of his writing, like long before he was allowed to direct. Because I mean, this is the man who made the film, who wrote the film, being John Malkovich, which had you go into Malkovich's head and have that famed scene of Malkovich Malkovich and the puppets and all of that shit. 
he's the guy who wrote adaptation which i think was probably the wildest thing we saw for in that where in that world when that movie came out to eventually get us to eternal sunshine of a spotless mind which like when you look at now where where kaufman has gone off without having other people direct his works like you can see how people watered down his craziness for us um but yeah this movie just goes just to 11 and beyond in the volume of its own insanity and what upsets me and it's something that damien had said um before i think before we had hit the record button um is that this movie feels almost like obtuse for the sake of being obtuse. Like, there are movies like this that exist that we watch and we talk about um, throughout the years, and I tend to enjoy discussing if I can somehow fathom a way to interpret what the filmmaker has put in front of me, um, to say, ah, this is what I gleaned from this movie. However, for this movie and this story, I spent so much of it just staring, looking for that interpretation to come to me. And then I'm just lost and I end the movie and I'm done. And I'm like, what happened? Right. I understand the mechanics of you go to visit the parents, you come back and it ends, even though we don't actually see, I think, the ending. You just see like they drive away and they have the whole drive home and what happens at the school which oh my god the school um but the thing about it all is that i still to this moment talking through even the little pieces of this film i still am in that mode of seeking an interpretation and wanting to find a reason to speak about this movie positively like i left this movie and started pondering on it started thinking deeply on what I could take away from it. I started to think about um, this specific moment in the movie where um, Jesse Buckley is showing her art to um, her, her partner's parents. And he's talking, and she's showing them how this art looks. And they're talking about how they don't get it. They're talking about how um, the, you need a person in the picture to make you know how to feel that the picture should be sad or the picture should be happy or it should be this or it should be that. And she's explaining to them that, no, but instead of wanting that person to be there, why not imagine that it's you who's in the picture and tell me how it makes you feel? Or would the picture make you feel sad? And the closest I could come to it was trying to think about this movie in that very context, which is that throughout this movie, whilst there are people feeling things i don't ever feel as though i am feeling things with them with the exception of probably jesse buckley on occasion where i am like yes girl run <laughs> um the the rest of the movie i'm just kind of being like is there more to this am i looking inside something am i am i supposed to feel something is she is 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 Kaufman trying to show me the internal workings of the childhood of of Jake? I don't know. I just am lost at sea and Damien save me from my own self. What is wrong with me? Uh, Douglas Robinson. I'll just say your two cents. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, al- right, yes, we already spoke about this movie. So I, I 
feel a lot like you, Andrew. Um, maybe I haven't gotten to your end position, but how you described your experience with this film is the th- same thing that I have. I literally have no notes for this movie because I didn't know what to write. I watched it. I started watching it. Then I was in the middle of watching it. Then the movie ended, and I still wasn't sure what the fuck happened. And I don't know. This movie defies description. There's no way to even describe it. But what I will say is this, that there were a couple of teams. Um, they played extremely hard, but the captain done fucked up. Uh, the director of this film is, as Damien puts it, being obtuse for no reason other than to be obtuse. I think that a lot of this movie is beautiful. I will point to a couple of things. I really appreciated there were some scenes. So the way that he filmed them driving to the parent house, I think was was really cool. Uh, there was so much time spent with them in the car chatting uh, and her thinking and her not wanting to chat to him and chatting to him anyway and the way that it felt so claustrophobic I actually quite like that but that's not me liking a movie that's me liking a specific detail of a certain person's craft uh, uh, there, there's a lot of things about how this movie is filmed, how pretty it is on my television that I really enjoyed. The story itself is mind-boggling. I, I try to... There's something that happened in this movie, throughout this movie, that I never fully understood and I knew meant something. And it, you know, when something like that happens, it will tickle the back of your brain. Like you, you'll notice. So you've noticed that you've noticed something, but you don't know what it is that you're seeing. And one of those things was that, and I hope somebody here can um, uh, saw it and, and has a position on what the hell is going on. But did you guys pick up that? You say her name is Jessie Buckley. She, depending on where we were in the movie, and I don't think it was a linear thing. I think there were times when she was at one extreme and another and then flipping and then in the middle. But she would say things about something, whether it is, let's say, her relationship with him. where, um, And at first I thought it was a, a, a cadence, a cadence, but I don't think there was one. She would go from saying, you know, he's uh, the way we met was such a sweet little story. Um, we we met at the uh, at a pub night or a quiz night at a pub, and it was it was so sweet and wonderful. To you know, this guy was just a fucking creep, and you know, you give somebody a number just to to let him go away. And then you call him, um, and then there's, you know, he's, he's this horrible human being. And so 
stories would change like that. Perspectives of stories would change. Also, the way she felt about things would change from her being very much for something, liking something, hating something, being indifferent. And that obviously was, you know, meant to mean something. Uh, it was, you know, the, the visual, the visuals um, in the house, the parents' house, was was kind of fun in the sense that you know you saw different versions different ages of the parents which was cool uh but at the end of the day this movie i i don't even know what what the hell is going on but what i want to um say is i left this film knowing that it was a murder story um that man killed that woman and he also <laughs> killed my my interest in watching any more movies he directs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Douglas, don't be mean. <laughs> it's not a nice thing to say, Douglas. <laughs> uh, so I assume it is my turn. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, Andrew Robinson for many years you and douglas have openly ridiculed my points of view on andy kaufman's films i don't like any of his movies i've never made um, any bones about that i've tried rewatching spotless mind because that is the one that people hold up um, and I do not like that movie. Uh, I didn't like adaptation at the time. I still don't like adaptation. And the one That's movie... Adaptation is... I love that movie, mm-hmm. but I love it for specific reasons. Right. And the one movie that was supposed to have wide appeal and that made him a lot of money and a household name being John Malkovich... I assume the reason I didn't like it was because I saw it as a child, as all of us did. I saw that movie in 1999 and hadn't seen it, hadn't seen it for. Uh, I love that movie so much. Uh, the yes, next time I movie. saw it was after we started this podcast and I watched it again um, at some point last week. I don't like that movie. Um, it's it's fun to watch John Malkovich um, basically pull a Nicolas Cage. Someone's just like, just be crazy. Um, but his performance is wasted with the things in that movie. That movie isn't compelling to me in any way. And watching this movie... Uh, made me realize something. And I started saying it to Douglas um, earlier today. And so I'll recap it for you, Andrew, because of course you're not here. Um, I realized that, and it, as much as it pains me to say this, um, because I like, and Douglas likes, Lars von Trier, and he makes deliberately difficult movies. Um, 
it, it doesn't always work. There's people who understandably do not like his movies. Um, and I can see why. The, his movies aren't, aren't fun movies. Uh, they aren't designed to be fun movies. And, I don't know what you're talking about. Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is, it is weird using that as a criticism for Charlie Kaufman while praising people like Lars von Trier for doing the same thing. But while I was thinking about this, I realized that using von Trier is using the nuclear option. And that <laughs> isn't who I'm supposed to compare Charlie Kaufman to. Because Charlie Kaufman isn't making Lars von Trier movies. He thinks he's making good watchable movies. And so who I've decided to compare him against is <clears throat> Chris Nolan. Now, Charlie Kaufman wasn't giving money to make a Batman or any of those kind of movies. But he, Christopher Nolan, does a thing with his movies that Charlie Kaufman, I think he's trying to do, but fails at at every turn. Chris Nolan's movies are stupid movies. If you write down the things that happen in his movies, they don't make any sense. They're not supposed to make any sense. And so the trick that he's found is to make us, the viewers, feel smart, feel connected to the thing, the story he's telling by essentially tricking us into feeling that way. And I believe that is what Charlie Kaufman is doing. He thinks he's writing smart, engaging movies. But where Chris Nolan succeeds, Charlie Kaufman has failed at every turn. And it is people like Andrew and to a lesser extent, Douglas, that has fed this man's ego long enough that now we're being punished into watching trash like I think, I think I'm thinking about ending things. This movie is not good on any level. I like the both the leads in this movie. If this were the first movie I saw them in, I wouldn't watch anything with them again. <laughs> this movie is so bad that it made me question, just for a second, if Fargo was good at all. And it wasn't until I realized that she was in Chernobyl, I went, no, I've seen her in, no, two good things. This has to be the outlier because this is trash. And it's trash because the director is deliberately making this movie this way. There's nothing accidental about this movie. He thinks that he is making movies for people like Andrew. People who are movie people that appreciate a challenging film. But his, his films, I looked at all of them. And none of them, with the exception of um, Schenectady in New York. Andrew loves that movie and the internet lo loves that movie in such a way that I'm going to back down from my views on that movie. I have laid eyes on that movie. That movie was garbage when I saw it. But that is the one that I won't rewatch and the one that I will give to you guys as 
this is the one that you can point to and go, all right, maybe that one was just above me. But the rest of these movies are not. And I will not <laughs> have anyone tell me that I'm just not smart enough to get his movies. Because these movies aren't smart. They're stupid movies. Like Chris Nolan's stupid movies. Except when you walk away from a Chris Nolan movie, you feel smart. Even though you aren't actually smart because the movie's dumb, you feel that way. And Charlie Kaufman can't get it done. His writing style sucks. His storyline sucks. And this directing is mediocre. There's nothing, there's no flourishes, there's no nothing. I'm trying to say that Chris Nolan is nothing more than a holiday in. I'm trying to say that Chris Nolan is when Chris Nolan is what Charlie Kaufman dreams of being when he lies, <laughs> lays down at night. He's just like, how is it that Chris Nolan's movies are so popular? Everyone loves them. And you can, and he's probably looking at it. He's probably one of the people on the internet that are like, uh, I don't like Chris Nolan's movies because they're stupid and people pretend that they're smart. And congratulations for being the first person to think that. Uh, but his movies are, are trash. His entire filmography is trash. It is bait for people who think they watch better movies than the masses. This is exactly the type of nonsense that I always feared Chris Nolan would slip into. But having watched this movie, I realized why that is never going to be the case. Because Chris Nolan's trick is better than Kaufman's trick. Kaufman thinks he's smarter than the people that are watching his movies. And he thinks that by watching his movies, you've actually become smarter. And so he writes and directs terrible movies that are deliberately unenjoyable. There's nothing fun about any of his movies. And I'm looking at the list of this, the movies that he's made. I'm looking through them and trying to think, is there a one of these movies that if someone came to me at any point and said, hey, Movie X, should I watch it? The answer categorically is no for all of these movies. The because he's, there he's bad. <laughs> and I would like, I know Andrew's never going to say it, but Douglas, I know you're creeping towards my side. No, <laughs> so I am, but only if he is fully involved, if he is the <laughs> captain of the ship. Uh -huh. I believe strongly that. He's clearly a weird-ass motherfucker, right? Mm -hmm. And as you say, he likes weird just for being weird. But if you have somebody else that is in charge that <laughs> of reads the, weird the pages and mm -hmm. says, all right, hold on. So I hear you, Charlie, but listen. Let's, let's go this far. How's about so you're saying we need, like a, we need like a Charlie Kaufman favorite, right? Kind of like what, what the favorite did right. for Yorgos, where we took away the writing work from him. Yeah, right. because those are all the movies of his I love. He didn't direct John Malkovich, did he, Andrew? No. He definitely didn't direct Eternal Sunshine. He nope. definitely did not um, direct Human Nature. And he didn't direct what's the other one that I like? Um adaptation adaptation no those four movies to varying degrees i love right and 
the common denominator is a different director. Now, you could argue that two out of those four movies, um, the director is super weird himself, but their words clash, I suppose, so that they, they decide to be weird about different things. Uh, but yeah, as far as I'm concerned, give me a Charlie Kaufman team-up. It's been too long since he's... Um, since he's gone on his own and he hasn't teamed up with somebody. And I think that's because enough of his movies did well enough. They couldn't have done monetarily well, though. But enough of his movies have done well. Malkovich did um, well. Um, what's the word? Uh, critically enough that mm -hmm. people are willing to give him the chance. And people still love these movies that he does by himself, um, which upsets me. Because I, like you, Damien, want to burn them all to the ground. <laughs> They're terrible movies. And I, I know why Andrew thinks he likes these movies. <laughs> um, it is why the, do I think I like these movies? It's the same reason why you thought you liked another movie that I saw um, recently, um, Prometheus. Uh, I went back and watched Prometheus just to see if that movie is definitely as bad as I remember. And it is Douglas. You'll find you won't find it surprising. That movie is worse than we remember. Which um, movie? Sorry, Prometheus. <laughs> agreed. Uh, no, no, you don't get to say agreed. No, Andrew. I don't want to hear uh, <laughs> any apologies. No, uh, <laughs> we saw that movie. And you were definitely in camp, Prometheus. Uh, you like that movie because you built the world of Prometheus behind the movie. It was what the movie showed you. You are so enraptured with what the movie represented that you basically did the heavy lifting for the movie. And that is what you've done with all... And I assume that is what Douglas did with all of his other movies. Because from my vantage point, there's nothing about these movies that are special. I don't see it. I've never seen it. Uh, he's weird, but it's not the fun weird. We have a lot of fun weird people in movies. We have a lot of capital W weird people in movies like Von Trier. But his flavor of weird is difficult but for the sake of being difficult none of these movies are easily approachable which all movies don't have to be that i understand that he has the right to make whatever he feels but i am not going to convince myself that because something is hard it is good it is like the it is the, in video game parlance it is the um dark soulsification of games there are people who act as if the difficulty of a game determines the quality of a game. And so will deliberately make a game or deliberately transform a game in its, into its most difficult state in order to gain some kind of satisfaction in defeating the game on its hardest. But while doing so, they have deprived themselves of enjoyment. It doesn't, 
you might tell me that you enjoy it, but you don't seem like you enjoy it. You seem upset and angry. And even if that is what you are telling me that you want, your face and your body language betrays the words that is coming out of your mouth. Douglas, when's the last time you sat down and said, I want to watch something, and it was a Charlie Kaufman movie? Any one of these movies that you claim you like? I watched Eternal Sunshine some mm. months ago. All right. But how many of the movies do you love? I would say, is it four that we counted? Right. Eternal Sunshine, Malkovich, mm-hmm. um, Human Nature, and... And mm. Mark, I, I can't remember. Jesus. I'm, tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm sorry. I'm really tired. Today. <laughs> but yeah, four of them. Listen, I just don't. I don't see the benefit of um, me struggling to like something when oh, adaptation when the payoff for me. Listen, I'm glad that the payoff for, for Andrew and to a lesser extent for you, Douglas, um, seems worth it. Um, but I don't think his movies are good. I don't think going down this road with him is, is valuable. Like this movie is, it is not a carbon copy of any of his previous movies, but it, fe- it feels the same. Yeah, I feel like, to be <coughs> honest, I, I agree with that in the sense that I feel like all of his uh, new movies, the ones where it's just him directing, mm-hmm. are kind of the same. It's, it's, they're all difficult, they're all uh, just out of order, they're, they're, they're all kind of very much focused on this individual, whoever it is that we're 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 with um in the movie. It they feel like the same thing. And I wonder if and you know not to belabor the point, but that does point us right back at a certain Danish terrible human being because that's also what he does. I think the thing about it is that watching this movie, I, I agree, like all of his movies that he's made, these three that we're discussing, um, Synecdoche, Anomalisa, and this, um, I'm thinking about ending things, they have their similarities, and not just in his style of being weird and guising all of his things, but I think of it almost in a complete regression of ability, of storytelling ability, because... Um, I feel like you watch Synecdoche, New York, and sure, Damien, you don't like it, but who gives a shit? But you watch that movie, and I don't think anyone can leave that movie, and they can't tell you what that movie's about. Like, it's very clear what that movie's about. Obviously, you have the Kaufman oddities in it. So you didn't like it, you didn't like it, so what? But you know what the movie's about. Anomalisa, it's the same sort of concept. Right. Um, but no, he's made it smaller to be about this guy who is it's no longer about this man's life being portrayed. It's now about this guy on that one trip. Right. And you know what that movie is about, but whatever. Right. This movie 
can anyone, can any of us say what this movie is actually about outside of the trip to the parents? Because I don't think that's what this movie is about. Right? This movie is about this man kidnapping and murdering a young woman. Actually, <laughs> and, multiple, and I, multiple young women. Um, <laughs> and I think that is inherently my problem with this one. Right? I'm, I can tell you, Damien, I didn't enjoy watching Anomalisa, but I wasn't hurt by it, right? I, I definitely love Synecdoche, New York. Um, this movie, this movie hurt my soul, right? This movie felt like a couple of weeks ago when we talked about The Painted Bird. This felt like what The Painted Bird probably did to like <laughs> art movies, like to me where it's just like oh you think you like that don't you and it just slaps me with like the most bonkers version of that that makes no fucking sense and then you're just like i hope like this movie should have been made by like a film student where you're like all right cool you thought this was edgy yeah right? that's what it felt like <laughs> um but yeah i don't know what else <laughs> i think Charlie Kaufman has always been a bad director. Um, and I think his writing is just as bad. And I I know I'm alone here, but he's he has another movie slated for this year, I think. Does um, he? What movie does he have coming out? Uh, it, it's called Chaos Walking. And apparently, uh, apparently, it's next year. It's in post-production. Ooh. Is it directed by Lars von Trier? No, it's screenplay by him. He's not the one directing this. Directed by Doug Lyman. Ooh. Yes! Yeah, A man. team up! Yep. I look it, has, it has Star Wars Lady. It mm-hmm. has Spider-Man Boy. Yep. It has the villain. It, it has, has Matt Mickelson, Tom Holland. I was about to say the villain from oh, Doctor wow. Strange. David, we're all allowed to name people oh. as their superheroes. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> I, I apologize, Andrew. I didn't. Yeah. I, I forgot. I mean, I don't know what superhero to give David or Yellow. Do I just call him Martin Luther King? Is that his superhero? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, 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 I can't come up with one. Uh, I yeah. that he wrote Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I like that movie too. I haven't watched that one in a very long time. <laughs> Kind of like earlier when we were talking about Adam Sandler movies, I'm like, that one's been a while. I don't yeah. want to stand behind that movie right I think now. I watched it a couple of years ago. It's, you know. A movie. Charlie Kaufman. You, you can sense Charlie Kaufman, isn't it? But this is probably the most uh, non-Kaufman Well, Clooney movie. directed it, right? Yeah. And uh, Clooney, like, I, I mean... Sure, you might like a few of movies that Clooney directed, but to me, Clooney is like the copycat director. Yeah, like whoever he, he was working with the other day, he's just like, I got that style in my head, so no, I'm going to I make disagree. a few Coen Brothers movies. I think he's trying very hard to be the Coen Brothers. I think uh, that's what he does most yeah. of the time. There's some of the movies where I'm like, he's doing a Soderbergh there. Oh, I mean, right? yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to copy somebody... I Don't mean, you can do worse than you can do worse than the Coin Brothers. True. 
Um, so I guess I don't know what else we want to talk about with this movie other than we didn't like it. Um, I'm thinking about ending things like how I'm thinking about this conversation. Oh, there <laughs> I did it. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. Uh, don't you love it when I used to do these awful things? Yeah, man, I'm giving, I'm, I'm thinking about a two out of five for that transition. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Charlie Kaufman, um, you're on the, you're on the, you're on the not watch list coming yeah. up. You've, you've, you, you deserve a break, right? Um, moving along. Um, so. Continuing our David Lean conversations, this week I have us coming around to his 1945 film, also written by Noel Coward, the man who wrote and starred in the last film, um, the film entitled Brief Encounter. Are you going to pictures this afternoon? Yes. How extraordinary am I? I thought you had to be all day at the hospital. Well, between ourselves, I killed two patients by accident this morning. And the matron is very displeased with me. I, I simply don't go back. What's she like, your wife? Madeline? Small, dark, rather delicate. They didn't call the Ghostbusters, you know. And your husband, what's he like? So, yeah. Brief Encounter, the 1945 film by David Lean, in which a married woman decides that she's very interested in this doctor at the railway station. Um... Damien, yes. you've been leading the charge on these David Lean films. I want to hear from you first. Uh, this one is... This one is the most average one. There's there's not really much to say about this. Um, I, I really like this one, but not for the movie reasons. Um, I like it because it feels, it feels, in my head, it feels like what uh, my idea of an old-timey movie <laughs> is. Um, I like the dialogue, the, the story is fine, but there's nothing, there's nothing impressive about this one. Um I mean, the, uh, this one has less propaganda than obviously the first one, um, but it feels it f it feels quaint in a way that I I wasn't expect because there's no there's not a lot of movies like this anymore. Like if someone was m making this in 2020, it would definitely be like a full-on rom-com and have all of the rom-com trappings. No, I wouldn't say so. This movie does feel like something that could exist in 2020. What You know what the difference would be, though, Damien? And this is one of the things that I... While I appreciate it, um, I, I, necessarily, I didn't necessarily think it was the best part of it was how you were allowed to get inside this woman's head was to literally hear her think. There was an mm. over-reliance on the um, voiceover. voiceover. But mm. this type of movie, this would definitely exist now, but you just, there'd be a lot more brooding moments and 
someone would have consumption exactly. in the middle of the movie. <laughs> you always know how old a movie is when someone says it's consumption. Uh, Fair point. Yeah, yeah. But I actually really like this movie. But anyway, move on. Uh, sorry, not move on. But I mean, I don't, have, I don't have that much to say about this movie. I, like, it's, it's not like that I dislike this movie. It's that this movie, um, it feels like what I imagine old movies are. Like, I know better, even not because we've watched enough movies from different time periods. For me to know what I can expect of older movies that can be more challenging, that can tell better stories, there can be a lot of different things. But in my head, when I think of an old movie, even having seen this movie just the once, <laughs> in my mind, this is what all old movies are. Uh, <laughs> this is like when you when my grandparents used to watch movies, I'm sure they never saw this movie. But I am 100% certain that this is the movie that they were watching all of the time. And I appreciate it for that. I said this in the last one, and I'll say it again. Hearing how women speak in these movies brings a smile to my face 100% of the time because of stupid jokes that the British have made about these type of women and how they speak for years. I love it. I love the inflection. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so weird to hear a version of English that was created specifically for movies and, and movie ladies. Like, that's not how anyone speaks, but I enjoy it so much every single time. And so this movie feels... Uh, very familiar. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing for me to be disappointed in or to dislike. Um, it's just it. It shouldn't, but it feels like um, a warm blanket. Like it feels comfortable, even though I've never seen uh, this movie before. It it kind of reminds me of when. Uh, this is a weird analogy. There's a time when Justin Timberlake was putting out music um, by himself and he put out the 2020 experience. And there was a song that I had never heard before that was playing off, like it was playing on TV or wherever it was playing. And I was so 100% certain that I had heard that song already and then tried to look it up and there would have, it would have been impossible for me to hear the song. But I knew... Like, it's that feeling where you know... I literally you know, have that feeling with music all the time. Right. You're just like, I know this song. And you're just like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. So that is what this movie feels like. Um, it's that feeling, if that makes sense. I, well, clearly it makes sense to Douglas. I don't know if it makes sense to anybody else. Like, I go crazy, Damien looking for the original version of songs that are already originals. Yep. Because I know that I've heard that song before. I know this song. It's like, that's impossible. <laughs> like, the internet will tell me, no, 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 they yeah. actually wrote this song. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. 
There's no way. Because I've heard this before, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but actually... No, you have not. <laughs> I actually really like this, um, this movie, at least in concept. Uh, because it's, it's not the sort of thing that I'd probably watch again. But it's so well done. And the lead actor is superb in it. And it, this is the type of movie where it really um, lives or dies on the performance of the lead actor because you're with her so much and you need to see, you need to be inside her head and, and, and understand her emotions. And I know I started off this argument by saying that a lot of that journey inside her head is... Uh, buoyed or assisted by her massive voiceover mm -hmm. and that is true but I feel like if you took out the voiceover and just muted the television and looked at her face and watched her expressions you'd still be right there because she does a, a superb job I actually I was listening to a podcast once. I cannot remember um, who said this. Actually, I think it might have been um, Jeff. Jeff, what's his face? Um, Good old Jeff. What's his face? <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. No, no. I'm going to call out a name, and you're going to hate me for it. Dumb and dumber. Um, Daniels. Daniels. Thank you, Jeff Daniels. So, Damien, when have we decided to help our co-host in getting names right? <laughs> I was going for Jeffrey Dahmer after this. Like, what's... Oh, well done. <laughs> You're it, just going to go for it. It really must be late because I cannot believe I allowed <laughs> that layup <laughs> to come past. We could have done so, this for oh and a half. <laughs> so he said, Jeffrey right? Dean Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> That he and and it must have been from when he was in terms of endearment with it. He he said that what Jack Nicholson said about acting was, you know, most of it is really just knowing what your face can do, because <laughs> that's that that's what people see. That's that's how they interact with you. That's how they they figure out what's going on with you. And 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 you know, emoting is a, a big thing, and that's what she does here. A lot, and because of the the content of the film, because of what it's about, it's about these two people who are already married with children and have this. I don't even really want to call it an affair, but um, <laughs> let's this is a British affair. No, let's use the parlance of our times. Let us call it an entanglement. And this would have been a torrid affair at the time. <laughs> at the time, oh yes, yes. <laughs> oh my, they kissed underneath underneath <gasps> the, the trains. Um, I, can't, but... <laughs> I, sh I can't believe it. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Look, the man kicked him out of his house because he found a handkerchief or yep, something, here. a scarf. I'm not angry, but I'm disappointed. <laughs> When I heard that, I was dying. But th this movie is about these two people getting into something that both excites them and deeply shames them. Mm -hmm. And you see that. Not so much in him, 
But in her, as I said, she really carries this movie on her back. And um, despite the old movieitis, despite every other second there being voiceover, despite her, you know, it, them not necessarily going as far as, as we would have gone, and despite the, the editing, uh, you know, again being um, very, I am going to go back in time kind of thing and tell you this story. Uh, it, it, I think it worked very well. Um, this movie is pretty good. I, I, I enjoyed the hour and a half that I spent watching this film. Like I'm, I'm kind of with Douglas. I'm more Douglas than I am Damien, right? I don't think I'm completely Douglas. I don't think I'm head over heels for this movie. Like, if we're if we're talking about ranking our old movie itis movies, like I know that I'm going to go to the shop around the corner long before I come to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie is pretty good. I I enjoyed their ridiculousness. I their 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 affair, their torrid affair. Um, I enjoyed the character of them. There's a clip I played at top where he talks about um, going to going to the pictures with her, and she's like, "Don't you have to work?" And she's like, "He's like, no, I killed a few people, and the the lady at the hospital don't like me no more, so I have to go and do something with my day." Um, which I love. I love the I love the the attendant of the the store, the refreshment store. Um, I love her. Her just nature with the people with her with the guests. There's, I love, there's I somebody love who she calls a something upstart. Happens every night. Um, <laughs> she says exactly the same thing to this man who she obviously love off, and the two yeah. of them obviously go home every night. But it's this this back and forth banter where you know, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. What what to which you are referring? She actually speaks in proper English without ending the sentence with a preposition. But it's <laughs> this back and forth where they start off chummy and they, they end up her slapping him in the face and running him out. Every night it happens, and I love that. I forgot yeah. about it. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> um, but even like, I think there's a scene somewhere in the middle of the movie where there are a couple, I, I don't know if they're soldiers, I can't remember right now, but yeah. they let's say they get lippy with her. Right, um, and she calls him something on upstart, a something up like I was dying with laughter because you know, you know, the thing about these movies and the dialogue and the way that the British like phrase their insults almost as if they're trying to be a school teacher to teach you vocabulary at the same time, right? Like, I continually enjoy it. Um, this movie though, like. I'm not like in this hasn't hit the heights of 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 um 1940s sitcom for me yet. Right? It's not it's not gotten a perfect hundred for me. I still feel there's room to grow for Mr. Lean um in his in his melodrama and in his comedy. Um but the dialogue is tight in this movie. I quite enjoyed it. Um I feel like there's so little to talk about this movie. Like yeah, they have an affair and yeah. then <laughs> it ends. Yeah. And there are a couple of characters like kicking each other around, but that's kind of it. Yes. There, there are a few guffaws. <laughs> <gasps> oh yeah, dear. Is, you. Is a simple film and it, it revels in that simplicity mm-hmm. and it, it, 
that simplicity is what what makes it as good as it is. I agree with you, Andrew. This is not. I, I wouldn't put this at a hundred percent. If this is the best movie that we watch from this man, I will be sorely disappointed. Uh, but I. It's just you know one of those things. You watch it and you're like, yeah, this is actually, you know, quite good. Yeah. And I had watched this like early in the morning, like on Monday, which was a holiday here. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Monday was a holiday here. That doesn't make any sense. No, next week Monday. Mondays can't be a holiday. Mondays can't be holidays. Is yeah, that what next, you're saying? Next week Monday's a holiday. Last week Monday, I mean, I mean you need it's... to talk to your boss. You yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does your boss know that you're doing this? <laughs> I'm sure he's disappointed. This is one of those movies that I watched early in the morning. And I'm just like, yeah, this is a good morning movie. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah, you're like eating your breakfast. You're like watching this movie. It's like making you chuckle at the ridiculousness of it. You're like happy. This movie's fine. <laughs> it's a perfectly good, clean. <laughs> yeah. Nothing below the belt. Fine movie. Uh, uh, it, unlike it, all of what. Kaufman does, you just watch this and go, yeah, I like this. <laughs> yeah. I'll watch know, this again. You know what this is, Damien? Because it's just that. It's proficient, mm-hmm. but but I get... I have decided to allow my mind to go with it because not only is it fine and it's been done proficiently, but this woman, Damien, yep. her performance. Oh, the goodnessity of the performance. So good. <laughs> so good. She takes something simple and makes it into something grand. Yeah, well, I guess that's it, sadly. Um, Celia Johnson, you have been awarded Douglas's <laughs> praise. Mm-hmm. That's um, high praise. He doesn't just say people are good for no apparent reason. That's not Douglas at all. No. Um, moving along then. Yes. I have things to discuss. Of course Uh-oh. you do. Right. I have movies to talk about. I have things to talk about. Um, so let me just scratch off the quick stuff. Easy. Um, I finished the boy season two. Yes. Um, that show is fantastic. Aya Cash is great in that season. Um, who that? That is Stormfront. <laughs> um, otherwise, the lady who is the worst, you're the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, so on and so forth. Season was great. Yes. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody loves the boys, so let's move on. Yep. Um, I, I watched this documentary by the name of Dick Johnson is Dead. Okay. Um, it's on Netflix. Of course. It is. it is about a man, Dick Johnson. Her, he is an elder man. He's older. And her, his daughter decides to do a documentary on him getting older. And basically, she starts to think... It starts to come into her mind. She starts to actively start thinking about the fact that he will die soon. How right? many penis jokes are there? <laughs> there are none. No um, so what she does for this documentary in order to basically cope with this thought, this idea that her father is going to die soon, 
is she decides to stage elaborate deaths for her father. And All right. So, for example, and this is in the trailer, you will see him die to a falling air conditioner walking down the street like normal. <laughs> um, or him, like, falling down a set of stairs um, and then dying in a pool of his blood. So, right, because I, like, I follow I've changed a lot my of mind. I like this movie. Follows, I have seen a lot of things about this movie. Mm-hmm. None of them have made me want to watch it. Yes. Andrew, what you just said in one statement, <laughs> all of a sudden that has changed. <laughs> I mean, let me make this perfectly clear. This movie still has like people talking about oldness and sad, and eventually gets to the point where you start to see like him having trouble remembering things, and the the filmmaker is questioning like, should I be filming him doing things? Because she's still filming things, right. um, but like if I was to give you like a content number of like how many death fun things are there versus like minutes of just documentary footage, it's probably like 35 to 40% death fun things. Mm-hmm. Right. And the rest of it is just talking documentary where they talk about like his wife who's already passed before the movie starts. Um, and the family members and a few get-togethers there's even but there is a lot of fun like just nonsense and what i love about this movie is that it not only has those fun scenes where you see the filmed version of it you also see like the making of pieces where you see like um there's a part where they have to explain to him the fake blood for movies Mm -hmm. um and stuff like that but also like there's a part where they film him quote-unquote in heaven and like all of his wishes coming true that she can remember her father ever telling her that he wished he had. Um, but what made me feel even better and nicer about this movie is just this inherent concept of our our family members getting older. Yeah. And while we all wish we had more time with our family members, um, this person, given the person she is, she's a documentary filmmaker who's done this with a lot of other movies and works in film constantly. Um, made this active decision to film her father. And it made it feel like it was just one of those things that you do just to get closer to your family member. Right. And it felt warm and cuddly and it was a nice thing to see. Right. Um, but yeah. Sure. Um, and yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting watch. Um p- I don't know if I'd say that this is like a top 10 movie of the year, maybe given what year we're in it is. Um, but <laughs> um, but it definitely it definitely was a very good watch, especially at the time. Um, so Dick Johnson is dead. If you ever want to kill your father on film, this is what you do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure there'd be lawyers involved. <laughs> um... Other things I've watched. Um, so these three, I'm going to just rush through because they're older movies that I assume everyone's seen. Um, I watched The Anatomy of a Murder, which is Otto Perminger film from the 50s with J- James Stewart and George C. Scott. It is so fucking good. Um, like, I keep forgetting how much I enjoy watching James Stewart in movies and more to the point, George C. Scott. Like, there's a cadence you have to movies back then. 
um, as to what they talk, how they how they deliver their lines, how they set up, how they block their shots. Everything is so amazing in that movie. It looks so fucking beautiful. Um, it's great. I assume we've all seen it. It's a courtroom drama. He's getting he's he's um, James Stewart as a defense attorney, and he defends this um, soldier who basically murders a man. Who not basically he murders a man because that man had raped his wife previous to him murdering him. Um, and James Stewart is defending him. It is so fucking good. It's amazing. I love it. Um, the Criterion channel put up a bunch of 70s horror films. And I know we don't like to talk about horror films on this podcast because, as Damien likes to put them, they're bad. Yep. Um, but I like to say, you know, Criterion get, hit me with some new stuff. And I went to watch these movies, which I know they've been famed horror movies from the 70s that I've never seen before. Um, the Hills Have Eyes by Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I love that name, Wes Craven, because I, I, like everyone else, I'm deeply in love with Scream and The Nightmare Before Elm Street. Uh, um, <laughs> this... <laughs> yes. Wait, hold on. Are you guys saying bad things about Scream? Um, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm not going to be bullied on this show. <laughs> Scream trash. So, so, oh my goodness. I, I wasn't necessarily going to... I didn't need to say bad things about Scream. I do remember as a child enjoying the first one, but that's because TV told me to. I have seen some of the later ones. Those movies are I'll, hard. I'll accept, I'll accept discussions about the sequels. They're, gra- right? they're bad I, movies. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen the sequels again since whenever I first saw each one. Uh-huh. The first movie. Nope. I don't know, you know. Nope. No. Oh, wow. I, will, I know. I will, nope. Listen, I will allow, I will give an allowance for when I watched it, how I watched it, and um, the fact that I haven't watched it since so that I cannot factually tell you that it is garbage. <laughs> but you can know. You know it. <laughs> you know, in your in your soul. <laughs> so you remember earlier when we were talking about Charlie Kaufman and about yeah. how he hurt me? Yeah. yeah. I take that back. Douglas just hurt me more. <laughs> Damien hurt me even more. Yeah. Oh my god. Scream yeah, is trash. I hate Bad you um, <laughs> Anyways. I, um, Andrew, uh, if I'm being honest, I thought that was a generally accepted fact. I didn't know there was people out there. Um... <laughs> on you know, on the scream defense wagon. Like I didn't know they had they had defenders out there. That I mean, is the most confusing. I mean, Damien, if you think about it, right? You know what we haven't thought of? You could what? watch that movie mm-hmm. thinking about it as a joke of itself, and maybe in that way it works. That's not how Andrew watches movies. <laughs> it is. It is a satire of those slasher movies. It's still bad, though. <laughs> uh, you know what? Moving on. Let's no, not no, talk no, about no, Scream no, anymore. It no. definitely doesn't work as a satire of other movies. The only thing I will accept is if it is a satire of itself. If... <laughs> if what Wes Craven did is he I feel like, I feel like we need to like have a scream podcast. Right? I feel like we need to have a scream podcast. At the this only stage. way this movie is good is if Wes Craven was such a genius that he said to himself, "I'm going to make a movie so bad, mm-hmm. a movie that people will hate so much that years afterwards they'll watch it 
and, and still eat it. <laughs> and it's so bad that you know it, it can only be viewed as a comedy of itself. You watch it to laugh at how bad it is. <laughs> oh my god. Oh Lord. What have I done? <laughs> what what Andrew Andrew, listen. This is one listen there you we've done this long enough. There's a lot of times that I come on here and I'm deliberately trying to annoy you. <laughs> right? I will say I've done none of that this evening. <laughs> I genuinely think that scream is bad, and I cannot believe you're defending of all movies, <laughs> Scream. I wonder, Damien, should we should we start a a, a sub podcast where <laughs> we, we have like, no 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 we, we have like a um a jury trial yeah where we put all of the Scream movies on trial. <laughs> Oh, how yeah. bad they are. <laughs> you know, we, we, yeah. we present um our opening arguments, yeah, our evidence. Our, <laughs> you know, you know what? I'm writing this down next week. I'll co- the next time we podcast, I come in here and I, we podcast. I'm, I'm gonna have to rewatch all the screen movies. <laughs> we podcast the 27th. We're doing this on the 27th. <laughs> we're doing scream. We're yeah. going to do this. I'm are we doing separate doing and this? apart from everything else? I'm going to come here and. I am going to put Scream on trial. I am, I'm going to prepare myself. All right. Because I'm going I, to prepare my notes. Yeah, I will Damien, not just accept this. Damien, as a what, I will, what I will say to you is this. I will be sorely disappointed mm-hmm. if when you come to talk about Scream, mm-hmm. you are not prepared with sound bites from Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Andrew is the, the sound engineer, so Andrew should be the one. <laughs> but you know, Andrew's not. Yes. So, I, I mean, yes, I will have to, like, tell me. You have to tell me what sound to use, and I can add it in. Chung, but chung. It's harder though because because like at least when I'm here, like I can mentally prepare when I'm supposed to put it in. Right. Right. You kind of have to like give me a hint to be like, no, Andrew. And then I can press the button and it can go. Chunk, Listen, chunk. I have a phone. I'll just play it through the phone. <laughs> and then I don't know what you'll do on here. And I don't care. <laughs> We're talking about Scream anyway. It doesn't have to be professional because this is going to be a complete shit show. All right. Anyways, um, the hills right. have eyes. Yes. Um, this is the movie I did. <laughs> Um, oh my god <laughs> it reminds me that 70s horror movies whilst they are bad mm-hmm. right they did us the they did us the service of skipping out all of the nonsense that horror movies do today where you have people explaining what is going on in the movie yes. right yes. there is a man at a gas station who says you shouldn't go down that road yeah and then you go down the road and, and bad things harder. happen <laughs> yeah and then they're kill people, yeah. right? And then you you don't like any of the characters because they're all idiots, which is why you want them to die. Mm-hmm. And then the movie ends, and it's been eighty minutes, and you're happy with your life. And you're just like, um, boy, movies are good. <laughs> <laughs> the Hills Have Eyes wasn't my favorite of it, um, but oh my goodness, this movie was just like a warm memory of like what these movies were like. Um, there are a lot more in the Criterion list. The other one I want to talk about, which I had never seen before, and I know is quote unquote a famous horror movie, um, the original '70s Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, 
I actually kind of like this movie. And I think part of it is that while it has all of those same things I just mentioned, there's a man at a gas station. He tells you, you shouldn't go over there. Yes. <laughs> there's a group of five children and they go up there and they all get murdered. But the moment that like the murdering starts and you see the the bad guy, the big heavy guy, Leatherface is what he's called because um, he has on. A leather face. Ah. Like no, one no, no one tells you the character name. You just see <laughs> in like the credits, leather face, and you're like, oh, that guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but like, literally, like while these people are doing the dumbest things, where you're like, you're definitely getting murdered. Um, he just pops out of a corner, this big, massive dude with a hammer, and he's just like, you're dead, and then you move on. And like, it happens in a moment where you're, at the same time, you're shocked and you're laughing at it for the ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Um, and the movie continues, and it's it's just a breeze of a 90-minute movie. And like, I think the biggest shock to me that happened is that like you, you realize what's going on in here is this little family of cannibals that's happening. Um, spoilers for a 40-year-old movie, 50-year-old movie. Is it 50 years since the 70s? It's 50 years. You're bad. 50-year-old um, <laughs> <laughs> movie, if you've not seen it. Um, this family of cannibals. But the thing that got me is that at the, at the tail end of the movie, they're like, bring down grandfather. And you see they bring down what looks like a corpse, right? That they have in a, in a chair. And they like stick this woman's finger that they've cut a hole in to like let out some blood and stick the finger in the father's mouth and he comes alive almost like a what we've been doing in the shadows vampire right <laughs> and like that was probably the scariest part of the most surprising <laughs> scary part of the movie where you didn't expect that to happen i kind of thought they were just like a dumb cannibal family and they're like we'll do this because it looks fun rather than it actually would do something <laughs> um and that was insane i like that movie um i don't think like these are all of those movies where they have like three or six sequels and i'm sure it's it's diminishing returns and i really have no interest in watching any of the sequels what? um <laughs> but the criterion channel has like a bunch of the 70s horror movies and i'm sure i'm going to watch at least a couple more before like that wave leaves um yeah the last movie I want to talk about, which is also a movie I watched on the Criterion channel, um, is a film that came out. Let me get the year because I forgot what year this movie is. A film that came out in 1979 um, entitled Real Life, um, which is. Real life. <laughs> yep. Fantasy. Yep. Same, same, Douglas. <laughs> Which is actually the directorial debut of one Mr. Albert Brooks. I, I think you mean debut. Debut. <laughs> <laughs> um, in which he basically makes a mockumentary. And I don't know if it's the first ever mockumentary, but actually, you know, it probably isn't because there's a Ron Howard movie. Not Ron Howard. The, oh, shit. I've <laughs> forgotten Howard. his name. Uh-huh. Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on the, the, spinal, the spinal tap movie mm -hmm. i've forgotten the name of the guy um but anyways um <laughs> this movie where it's, it's basically it's it's basically a satire on on um on um the reality tv shows where basically albert brooks has taken it upon himself to make a documentary for a period of a year um documenting quote-unquote real life so he like goes through a process of finding the most average american family 
um, with these scientists and all of these things, which includes a sequence of a family being put into a room in which the parents and the children have to swap roles. So the child is now the parent and the parent is now the child. And you can see the parents is like having fun with it mm -hmm. where he is like going like, oh, I don't want to do my homework. I just want to go out and play and doing like all of those dumb child things. And then the child takes it way too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see flip eventually <laughs> where the parents like, no, dog. <laughs> um, and it is... It's incredible to see what Albert Brooks does with this movie. So, like, um, the family that he ends up choosing is um, starring, um, played by, why have I forgotten? Was Charles Grodin plays the father of this family. Which movie is this, um, sorry? This movie is called Real Life. Real Life? Okay. Yes. Um, like and Gordon, by the way. He's awesome. Yep. He is great in this movie. He, everything about this movie is kind of fantastic because it's, it's really just... Albert Brooks just making fun of everything about the filmmaking process. Like there's a point where he shows you these cameras that came from, I don't even remember what country he says were made them that they only made, there were only five, only four of them worked and we got three of them. And they're like, I'm going to send you guys like a picture. There's like the, the, it looks like something you put on top of your head. It's something you put on top of your head, like a hat Mm -hmm. um and you have like the controls by your ears that you put up your hands to and so these guys are always following them with these head cameras um and it is ridiculous everything about this movie is ridiculous they are it's an incredible film and i love it it's i'm going to send you guys this picture in whatsapp because i can't do this through our podcasting thing um <laughs> copy and paste right um and it is it's pretty it's a fun movie i quite liked it um it is also very strange there's a scientist who a psychologist who is on the on the who is a part of the filmmaking process to like document what's going on and to write a paper and then halfway through it he gets upset because he gets left out of a call and basically turns everything into a racist joke. And Albert Brooks is like, no, I didn't mean it like that. And he can see the man like pulling all of those strings and then eventually it turns just dark. I love this movie. It's, it's incredible. Um, I always knew I liked the films Albert Brooks made. I haven't, I think there's still a couple I haven't seen. He didn't direct that many. Um, but yeah, this movie is amazing. But the last thing I want to talk about is a month-long experience that Damon and I need to finally discuss. Yes. I finally beat Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> Goddamn time. <laughs> Remember two years ago yeah, when this game came out? And we're like... 18. <laughs> we're like, Damon, we're like, we have to do this. And then I fell off, like, after a while. Um, I finally jumped back on the horse. Um <laughs> Ah, all right, I'll accept that. <laughs> That's dumb, but I'll, and, I'll allow it. And played Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, it is incredible to me what Red this Red game Force. does. Because, like, it's so easy for you to, like, get upset at how simple the, the gameplay is mm -hmm. in the sense of if you're playing the story, 
where Rockstar says, all right, you have a mission. You go and you ride to guy A. The guy A tells you what to do. You ride to mission B. Shoot and then you shoot a few people. And then the, you ride back and then the mission is done. And then like you do that for like 80% of the game. And it feels like eventually at some point your brain thinks that you're going to get tired of this. That you're going to get upset that like this, this very rigid structure of like mission management happening on. But somewhere in the middle of all of what this game is, it gets the you. game catches you. Yep. Because I want to tell you, there are two pieces of this game that I am very upset about. And the fact that I'm upset about it lets me know how much I got into this fucking game. Right? So, Damien. Yes, sir. There is a man who walks around screaming for his friend Gavin. Yep. <laughs> Gavin. <laughs> Yep. Mm-hmm. To the point where when you get to the end of this game, it's been uh, it's been at least like five years mm-hmm. of time that has gone on. And this man is still I still run into this man mm-hmm. screaming looking for his friend named Gavin. Yes, you do. And I got upset because I wanted to find his friend Gavin. Yes. I looked it up on the internet and there is no Gavin. There is no Gavin. <laughs> yes. Damon, I was so actively upset at the game that I didn't play it for three days once I figured that out. Uh, Andrew, there are people who to this day are looking for Gavin. <laughs> Even though there is, it is clear that there is no Gavin, there are people do not accept that <laughs> and are scouring the game to find Gavin and I love the game for that <laughs> yeah there's no Gavin I don't know what to tell <laughs> wait what yeah, is the picture that's... that you're sending me Andrew yeah, so that's his. I, I realized when I said it that I was sending you guys the picture of the guy of the camera from real life. Yeah, I put it in the wrong WhatsApp chat, so I sent that to a random friend. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the picture of the camera in real life that I'm talking about, where he's like, you put it on your head, the controls are in the ears, it's really stupid, it's ridiculous. It looks, um, stupid. yep, that movie is stupid and it's fun. Um, anyways, back to Red Dead Redemption, right? Back to God. Um, Gavin, oh my god, fucking Gavin. Yep. The second thing that is completely random and it burns my soul because I want to know mm-hmm. is that somewhere in the middle of the game on one of my hunting trips. Yes. Right? That's the thing about this game. The game makes you care about running around and hunting and not to the point where it's like I need to do this for like reasons. It's literally me going like I need a break from a story. I'm going to go into a random area and hunt for like a day. Correct. I did that. I hate myself because the game figured out how to make me care enough to do that. No, the, um, the game to do that. <laughs> yeah. so, I don't know what to tell you. One day I was going on a hunting trip mm-hmm. and then I came across a random house. Yes. I walked in said house <laughs> and <laughs> in this house uh-huh. There was a family that yep. had all died of smoke inhalation. Mm-hmm. Do you know what house I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Nothing. The only thing that came to my mind, other than, oh my God, that's dark, mm-hmm. was 
I thought to myself, I've found this house like must have been like 80 hours into the game. Mm -hmm. If I had come here earlier, would they have been alive? No. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that I think these things. Yes. Is that testament to how well they built the world? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And this game is just fantastic. Um, I love so much about it. Mm -hmm. Like... I, I remember there was this point, I forgot what, which mission it really was. It was in the Lemoyne area. Um, when you were camped in the Lemoyne area, I think that you finished this mission. I think it was, yeah, I think it was when you got Jack back, mm-hmm. right? When he was taken by the by to- Angelo Bronte. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> um, like they should have just called that guy Django at that point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the. And you bring him back, and then the camp all starts singing. They yep. all start like gathering around the fire and singing. And it's not a cutscene where where the 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 game stops and the camera goes in, and you're like, oh, you're like in the middle of this movie. It's just the 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 game actors are like actively doing this, and you can walk away if you want. Yeah, you can like you can like go elsewhere. You can go to sleep and ignore the whole thing. Yep. But like as this is happening, like this singing happens, and I'm like. Oh, I just want to sit here and sing along with them. And literally, that's what I'm doing with the game. I'm like playing this game as if I'm one of their characters. And I don't think any game has really ever done that to me. Right? Yeah. There are games that have gotten me to like play it in a certain way so that I'm like, oh, I want to be like stealthy and not get caught because that's the kind of character I want to believe this guy is. But there have not been games where like I want to be a part of this conversation that's happening. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like these characters should have this conversation, right? You become right? Arthur Morgan at some point. <laughs> at some point, you're he's no longer Avatar, and even though the game doesn't allow you to make um, all the decisions you think you would make on his behalf, because he's still him, the game at some point tricks you into believing that you are him. And it is <laughs> uh so Andrew, there are so many because I've been playing the game for uh basically two years now, there are so many little things about the game that uh the fact that they put it in the game is 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 crazy. Like the amount of work that it took to get these things into the game. And there's thing, it's things that you can miss. Um, like um, part of the like the collectibles that you can get is um, you can see you see some designs in rock formations. And if you come Yeah, I found the guy who told me to do that and I right. got it. And so the the thing at the end of that quest line is so bananas and true. <laughs> It's cr- it's crazy that they'd waste the time to put that in. It it doesn't need to be there, but the fact that it is is a testament to both how much time the developers took to get it done and how much money Rockstar has that they can build bespoke things into this world that don't need to be there in any way, shape, or form. 
and the the thing that is um most emblematic of that is Arthur's journal. Every single time you finish a mission or you finish some 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 whatever it is, Arthur will write in his journal. And he writes from his point of view. And so there's times there's big missions. And at the end of the missions, you the world moves on. And you go and you read in his journal the how he perceives the thing that is happening. Because you work out that um, the ringleader is just a terrible man. <laughs> like, you work that out the second... Because it, having played the first game, you'd have known. But even if you hadn't, he is a man clad in all black that has the answers to everything. He's clearly the bad guy in <laughs> this game. But you work for him and... Andrew, spend uh, what I would say, spend as much time talking to the people in the camp as you can. There are so many, um, there's like thousands of scenes and lines with you talking to every single individual in the camp. Uh, there's not much to be gained from it, but that feeling that you have, that you had when they rescued Jack and they had a party, there are Lots of times where you go back to the camp and there's just this question mark on someone and you go. Yeah, and you just they're just like, would you like to talk? Right. And they sit you down and you talk. Um, and you're I, like, I think I'm a murderer. Right. Uh, there, there's one time where I was doing the same thing Andrew was doing. I was hunting to get stuff to make the camp pretty, um, which I'll come back to after this. And I hadn't taken a shower or anything because I was so busy camping. And when I got back to camp, the matriarch of the camp came over and she's just like, look, dog, you cannot be in here looking like that and smelling like that. And dragged me over to where the bucket of water was and like splashed water on me. <laughs> I was just like, you didn't, they need, need to put that in the game. But they did. But to make these characters feel more like people and the thing i love most about that entire camping mechanic is that at the end of douglas robinson like when you get to your final camp location you cannot do anything for the camp um, it starts out you have to bring food and you have to donate money and you have to do all of these things to keep the camp going and it gives you a set like there's some bonuses and stuff and gives you a sense of, you know, um, you know, you're really helping out your camp um, because you're the right-hand man and people depend on you or whatever. And by the time the game ends, you realize that all of the time you spent killing um, cougars and boars and getting perfect pelts and outfitting everyone's whatever, it was all for nothing. <laughs> None of it carries over. And everyone hates you at the end of the game. And it, fe it felt so... It was so depressing to find out that I still want it. Because at the end of the game, your Arthur is sick. And so I'm still trying to do whatever I can to keep interacting with these people. So that they can, even though everything has gone to shit... 
because Dutch is a is human garbage. Uh, you try to do the things that you did at the start of the game to make the camp because they give you when you donate things, people pat you on the back and they tell you thanks, and everyone loves you. And then at the end, when you're sick and you know you're not going to make it, and all you're trying to do is help these people, everyone is upset. And no, it felt. I felt so bad, both for Arthur and the camp. And the game, that game is something else. Um, like, <laughs> like literally right now, my fear is starting the game again. Uh, yeah, I, I've been that game more than once. <laughs> because uh, like deep down inside, I feel like I remember you talking about it when like you had started the game again, mm -hmm. where now that you knew like which missions were like the trigger mission to like right. take you further to like just never do them and yep. just like run around. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just do everything else until literally there is nothing else left to do and then i'm like all right i have to i have to progress the world so but i don't like, want to do this like i look at even like i look at doing something which i don't do in video games a lot anymore which is like i look at the trophies and i'm like what if i went for that trophy where i'm like yeah get yourself to be wanted to that level in all yeah. states and survive four days yeah and you're just like yeah i can do that um for for as amazing as that game is, there are some things that um are it's weird that they didn't iron out these things before like they put out the game. It seemed like it seemed so simple and straightforward that it was a little frustrating. Um like the the wanted system is bad. Say bad. <laughs> it's a bad system. It's nonsensical, even for a Grand Theft Auto game. Um, there's no, there's no real punishment for being the devil. Uh, <laughs> uh, everything still works, even if you are the worst person. But the game isn't built for you to be the worst person. Um, but the game still has to work, um, and so. There's times you do things um, and there should be more ramifications, but they just aren't. And it feels, it it, it always felt weird um, when those things happened. Um, I, think, I think the other thing, the other random thing in this game that got me was there's this one story mission, random like side mission, mm -hmm. where you meet this random old guy when you're in roads. Yeah. And he complains about like the government taking his building and, and his stuff. And he, you're like, all right, yes. I'll help you out and I'll go in and I'll get you stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you go to his house and you find out that he was like a slave owner. Yeah, he was a like slave a slave trader. trader. Yeah. And like you take his stuff back to him. Mm -hmm. And then you see Arthur go like, boo, you old man, you're wrong. Yeah. And, then the, and then the mission ends there. And then in my brain, I went, that's not enough. And then I shot him. And I was yeah. like, that feels better. <laughs> like the game didn't ask me to shoot him, right? It's not like The Last of Us or the game is like, no, you must beat this man to death. Yeah. I this made a decision as a character, Arthur Morgan. He should murder this that man. This man has to die. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like every time, it, there, there are a few times in the game where you walk past Ku Klux Klan members having yeah. Ku Klux Klan things like putting up flags and stuff. 
And um, I think it actually gives you moral decisions for doing things, but I never paid attention to yeah. that too much. So you get a moral um, positive to for killing clan members wherever you find them. Right. So there's so many times where I would see them and then I would wait for the opportune moment. Like there are times where like they're like lifting up an uh, uh, lifting up the cross. Yeah. If you wait for the opportune moment, you can you can shoot them in a way where the cross will kill them in falling down. Yep. And I'd always do it that way instead of just blatantly murdering people. But I'd always murder them. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because of course. <laughs> why wouldn't you? Yeah, because um, what Arthur would do. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there's a lot of more... Um, the, the writing in this game is tremendous. Um, there's one point where he's talking to... Um, I think Charles is his name. And they're riding out and um, Charles is like, listen, um, this opposing gang, um, uh, I don't like dealing with them because in this area, you know, the people are kind of racist. And Arthur is like, no, I've been here a lot. I don't see them, you know, they don't seem that racist to me. And Charles just says, yeah, you would think that. And that is literally the end of the dialogue. Yeah. Also, speaking of the, like who you bring on missions, change the dialogue. Oh, this game. This game has so much. Uh, Talking about that, the, another, another part that got me, which was really random, was on one of my random hunting missions. I, I, I don't know if this is how you would play, but I actively would just travel around the map even before it sent me to camp in those areas. Yeah, man. Um, so like I got to like the Murphy Hills long before the game sent me up there and I like set up a camp spot. And then as I set up the camp spot, one of the Murphy brothers came up and was like, Ooh, look, the fire's really nice. Isn't it? And was like, get out of my hill before I murder you. Yep. And then I'm like, Oh my God, game. Was this always going to happen? Uh, if you, yeah, you just have to, like, if you set up a camp near them, one of them comes the first time and is just like, listen, listen, I'm going to say this to you the one time. <laughs> Don't be here the next time. And you're like a hundred percent, you a hundred percent think that it's going to end in some kind of shootout. And he just walks off and you're just like, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw the wolf man. There's a naked man that has wolves running alongside him the entire time. I don't know if I saw that. I don't think I saw that, no. Uh, there's a man that lives in a tree. I don't know if you saw him. Uh, no. I'm sh- I think one of the missions is for you to meet Frankenstein's robot. I met the robot. I, yeah. yeah, there's a guy called Marco something. Yeah. Um, and he's like the mad scientist. I didn't I don't think I finished his quest line. So like I saw the robot. Yeah. But I didn't like see the whole progression that was going on with that. Um they're like Missing people storylines. There are there's so much in this game, and there's so much of it that you can't that if you don't want to see the like the game doesn't funnel you into seeing a lot of these things, which on the one hand is frustrating because you'd like to see all the things the game has to offer, but on the other hand, they've built so much madness. There's Bigfoot missions. There are like dinosaur bones that you can find. 
there's like the legendary fishing thing that resolution is fun um but uh the the epilogue is the is when i realized just how much of a flex this game was because they built a second game at the end of the game and um the building a house song is my second favorite song on that entire like the soundtrack is out of this world good um that song that they sing when he's building his when john marson is building the cabin is tremendous the, when the game got to the point where it started playing willie nelson music right. for me and so when d'angelo shows up and sings um unshaken i was just like uh, you win game i don't know i don't know what you want from me but uh this game is uh unbelievable um and that game had uh that game had the best shot of being my game of the generation until this year happened <laughs> um but it the thing the thing that I'm most looking forward to with this generation, and it is something I remember uh, talking to you and Douglas about, like at the start, like when you were still living here, Andrew. <laughs> I remember um, there were people like from the PlayStation Four came out who were like, like once SSDs started to become like cheap and viable, there were people who were like, listen. SSDs are big enough and fast enough now that you could basically load all of the game all at once. So the graphics layer you'd leave to what is viewable, but you could essentially run the simulation in the background at all times. And that is the thing that I'm most looking forward to in this generation. We're finally at the point where everything uses ssds like imagine what rockstar with all their time and resources will be able to do when they're not restrained by like loading like rockstar's game streaming is top i don't even know how they got it done on these consoles because you can just while everywhere isn't open you can walk into a lot of houses um all of them are incredibly... Like, everything about this world is so incredibly detailed. But they have to stream it off a shitty hard drive. Imagine what they'll do when all, that entire limitation is lifted. Um, uh, and I can't, I can't wait uh, to see what kind of Luna... Like, graphics is graphics. And I understand that they have to get better. And that's fine. Uh, Douglas will buy another. That Douglas is probably going to buy the 3080 to run Solitaire and Excel. And we, that is just a thing that we have to accept. But, <laughs> but the question is, will Douglas buy a PS5 to play Red Dead 2? Yeah, I mean, he, will. Mode? he definitely will. He'll just never play it. When Red Dead 2 comes out, I get the PS5. <laughs> I'm sorry, Red Dead what? Red Dead 5. Okay. <laughs> Um, Red Dead 5 will be coming out um, in 5 CV. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. 
But yeah, Andrew, I I mean, if we didn't have this, if we didn't have to wrap up this podcast at some point, I would talk to you about so many pieces of that game. Uh, it's like it. It's just. It's crazy how much things. I mean, there's. Did you see? Did you find the like the miniature chapel that is in the swamp area? There's just like a a church that is for like hobbits. That's there. I did not find this. That you can crawl, like you have to crawl in order to enter the church. You can't stand inside of it. Um, there's a house where the people died from a meteor strike. Um, <laughs> that one was that one was fun to find. Um, there are. There's just so there's so much, and the the final mission of that game is so delicious because I shot that man nineteen thousand times. <laughs> I sh- like I shot him so much. <laughs> That the game, when it cut to the cutscene portion, couldn't render <laughs> all of the things that I've done to that man. Um, I have to say, Michael is yeah. like the greatest Western character you could have. Yeah, man. Uh, for me to hate, for me to hate somebody that much um, from the from the get go, I hated him the, the, the second uh, that I saw him. Uh, I did love him calling Arthur Blacklung. Yep. That was a good yeah. That was a good name. She's a real monster. Um Sadie is my favorite person in the entire game. All I wanted the whole game <laughs> yeah. was for Arthur to run off with Sadie yeah. and just live with Sadie. That's, that's you and literally everybody that played this game. Like that is um I would like them to the next game to be about Sadie. And if they don't do that, if they're still continuing the story and it is not about Sadie, I'm going to be legitimately upset. Because she is far and away. Like, from where she started in that game, with you rescuing her after you and your dingbat friends burnt her house to the ground, um, to what she was at the end of that game is one of the best arcs. And... Oh, also, Andrew, you know you can go back and find all of the people that are alive at the end of the game with John Marston. They're just I figured I figured as much. I just I'm just like I don't want to. And they give you it's it's pretty sweet the the stories that they tell. Um, there's two people that you can't find, but that's that's okay. You can also visit John. You can visit um, Arthur's gravesite. It's there. Uh, and when you go there, they play um, um, Unshaken, very low. Like, it's not, you can hear it, but it's very low um, in the background. And so that, and they give you, like, a, a different cutscene. Like, there's so much, um, there's just so, that game is so much. Also, the game takes place in half of the map. That, is, that part is also uh, madness. Because the other half of the map, even when you, even as John Marston, you don't have to visit. 
that is only in there for the online and for people who want something to do in the open world. It's just, it's just there. They they built it out, but you don't have to like all of this game is madness. All I want now, and I know many people want this. I know I want it. I want a Red Dead One remaster that I can play. I can you know, I won't Red even Dead use one. the word remaster. I'm just like, give me the files that I can run it on my computer or on the PlayStation 4 or 5, whatever. Right. Like, I, Andrew, just, just make sure you still have your PS3 like me, okay? <laughs> I think that PS2, right? I think Red Dead was PS2, wasn't no, it? Red Dead oh, it was PS3, PS3 sir. It was PS3. Yep. You know how I know? Because that's the only reason I own a PS3. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Look, those are the two games I want. I want Red Dead One and I want MGS Three. I mean, you can buy want... you can buy an Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, yeah. I mean, you can you can buy an Xbox and get those two games. You can do it. I think I think I can like lo- log in for like PS Now, and I think I can stream it. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I've never tested that service. I've always wanted to try it. You want none of that? You don't want any of the games on there. That's why you don't try it. I want the Red Dead. I remember that was a part of it at one point, and I thought about it. I don't know if it's still there. Probably not. Uh, but yeah, Rockstar, you hearing me? Like, give me that, please. I'm, I'm sure with the amount of people that have been clamoring for it, I'm sure at some point they're just going to do it. I don't. I don't need you to go full Final Fantasy remake. I just like you don't need to put in that much work. I just need the files <laughs> to run. <laughs> you don't have to show off. <laughs> uh, I still haven't played that Final Fantasy game. Should yeah. I? Get, should I get that game? I hear that they take the first like first disc worth of content and make a 30 hour game out of it yeah they did <laughs> I don't, don't really appreciate that but um. like so here lies the thing with that game there is a lot of story nonsense that you will not care about I mean that's Final Fantasy you're describing right? Final Fantasy um, but the combat is really good so I hear like you will, you will play that game, Damien, and you will agonize over becoming very good at the combat in that game. Uh, right. What I, what I should play instead is go, that Ghost of Tsushima game. Is what I should play. <laughs> what I have on my queue that I'm considering starting is near Automata. Automata. Yeah, I that, that game's fantastic. So I hear. I've never. Played um, it. <laughs> But yeah, that's the end of Andrew's video game corner. <laughs> yeah, Red Dead. I mean, I, I think that game sold for, I think the technical term is a bazillion. So I think, <laughs> I think you, your sentiment is shared by a lot of people. Um, it would be shared by Douglas, but Douglas don't have that kind of time. I'm pretty sure he shot one person. I was like, I'm good. Yeah, this, <laughs> yeah, this seems like enough. Um, so, Damien, what have you been watching? All right. So, the one thing that I will talk about. I've, I watch a oh, lot of shit. We still have podcasts? I guess so. I forgot that Damien hadn't said anything about what he watched. 
Um, yes, for the first time, I'm the one who monopolized the podcast. <laughs> and well done. Well done to you, sir. Um, the one thing I'll talk about, everything else is either um, movies that I've seen or movies that I... Um, that that I've seen many times are movies that I've seen but do not want to speak about in any way, shape, or form. Um, I saw... Uh, <laughs> oh, Douglas, don't do that. No, I'll go watch that movie tonight. I saw Weathering With You. Uh, the only reason I is want... It, is it the best cat in anime? Uh, all right. I will give you that. Um, it is not the best anything else in anime. <laughs> I will give you, I will 100% give you that that cat is fantastic. Um, but uh, this ain't it. I, I, I don't know what, I don't know why I'm so disappointed. Um because I'd, you love the other one that right, much. Because I'd only seen the one other movie. <laughs> um, but it is... I'll say my disappointment in this movie is profound. <laughs> is what I'll say. Um, this movie has no business being this bad. Um, Alright, let me not say bad. It's not... It's not a enjoyable time. It. If you watched it with um, dubs, it would have been better. I mean, it, it wouldn't make it any. No, it would make it worse. Fuck you, Douglas. <laughs> dubs, <not> subs. <laughs> I saw this movie last year at the film festival, mm-hmm. um, and I remember watching it and just being like, "Yeah, it's like an average anime movie. Yeah. Like it's." Like there is fantastical things that being the the girl can control weather and that there is it's always raining so people are sad. There's an amazing cat. Yep. And uh, there's the romance slash figure out what to do thing. And call the, the <laughs> you call that what? Let's call that a romance. <laughs> <laughs> um. And the rest of it is like teenage anime teenager shit. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's it's all right. Like the movie, I'm not saying I don't think the movie is actively bad. I actually yeah. was I actually was considering to like revisit it uh, since it's been a year. Because when you watch movies in the festival, like you see them so blocked that you're like, I don't even know what's good anymore. At some point, <laughs> sometimes. Um, so yeah, like I it wasn't a movie that I was championing. Obviously, Damien, you probably didn't even hear me mention it last yes, year. So. I- got that to you i'm like i think andrew said this to me but i do not remember um yeah but yeah i remember thinking it was fine right but i i think that is what triggered the profound disappointment i thought given how good the other one was the the thing this movie wouldn't be was just fine i expected it to be uh uh better um and so i I do not i don't recommend this movie um if you i i'd say if you saw the other one to just keep watching that one because this one is 
don't know. It's 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 not what I wanted. Um uh, and it's not what I deserve. It's <laughs> of madness. Um and then outside of that is the boys, but as we said, like everyone loves the boys. Um I think I saw that they're like doing some spin-off show no. of the boys now, yeah, apparently. Are... I don't know I think of I've, what. I've but... seen that too. Um can't remember what it is, but I have seen that. Um yeah, uh, there's there's nothing else that like I've seen uh, a couple of movies from 2020, at least according to box office mojo. Um, but Jesus, you didn't see Dick Johnson instead. Jesus Christ, some of these movies are bad. Um, but I I did that to myself, and I'm not going to t- like it's n- it's not movies that I think any of you would ever stumble into, so it's fine. Some of them are foreign <laughs> foreign films. So to work that hard reading for a movie to be that bad should it shouldn't be okay. <laughs> you have to send foreign films outside of your country you should make sure that the movie is good first. Is what I would say. Nah, man, that's pretty much it. Douglas, you watch movies? I watch nothing. Um, oh. So, the first week I watched sports, uh-huh. then there was no sports, and I've right. watched a lot of movies we've watched a thousand times. The only yes. thing I'll say is that I recommenced watching Woke, that Hulu show I, I, I keep talking about with mm-hmm. talking inanimate objects, and I do really like it. I finished that show. It's, it's, it's fun. And... I also started watching a new Showtime show starring Ethan Hawke, where he goes around in Western times saving people from slavery. And I'm still not sure that I like it. Ooh, I wanted to watch his show. What's the name of it again? I've forgotten. Something about Bird. Trash. Good, okay. good Bird. Or Is it on like Amazon? Hulu. What's it on? It's I have on it on Hulu, Hulu okay. because I have the Showtime add-on, but it's a Showtime show. It's a uh, Showtime show, so I'll probably be able to watch this on Craven. Ah, there you go. So, it the thing about it is, it's apparently based on a true story, but yep. it's but it's loosely done. So, why yep. I watched the it good is, Lord Bird, I've got it here. Yeah. So why I started watching it is because I saw the trailer and I literally saw him shout what I said a while ago that he's saving people from slavery, and I said, oh. This is a joke because there's no way. But <laughs> it, weirdly enough, it takes itself just seriously enough that you question it. So um, after two episodes, I was going to say, you know what, that's enough. But I've read that it is trying to take itself to make a make, make a fool of itself. So ah. I'll give it a little more time. It's it's right there on the, the edge of being not good. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but I love Ethan Hawke, so I'll always give him the benefit of the doubt. I have to say, my interest in this show has been what you've described, in that I remember thinking it was ridiculous to see <laughs> Ethan Hawke yes. say the things he said in like whatever trailer I saw. <laughs> so I am quite saddened to hear that you're like, wait, it might be like a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, you know. 
some of the things that happened in the show ridiculous nonsense yeah <laughs> but they just sprinkle it enough with enough realism that you kind of say i oh, mean do you think like you're nonsense. being funny <laughs> oh lord we're terrible people <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but that's that's really it i have not uh been active on the watching things i have not watched on the letterboxd yeah nothing good has gone in your letterboxd yeah, other nothing. than chef for the 50 millionth time exactly no you said um, nothing good Andrew. <laughs> 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 well, um, yeah yeah pretty much and i suppose i could talk about the fact that i've started watching a burt kreischer sh- show but it's not good and i still like it and we all knew that that's what was going to happen i figured that, is that what makes... was going to happen with that show yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. um if you yeah. like him you like that show if you oh won't, you won't you won't okay i'd just like to say damien i'm staring at my letterboxd mm-hmm. and in it as we speak someone has logged a screen with five stars and i'm like you're my friend we <laughs> 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 shouldn't speak the pervert <laughs> <laughs> Most of the cats that you meet on the streets speak of true 